do something nice and splashy for the mothers. I don't know what, what she's going to do for the men. Do they have bulletin covers with power tools or anything? I don't know. Or, or chainsaws for the man back there. Uh, but there was no, uh, there are inserts. If you want an insert, if you don't have one, they were, I think there's some in the back table. And uh, if you would like one, uh, there's a nice man back there that would gladly give you one. If you don't want one, don't worry. I'm not offended. I don't use it either. But uh, there are some that might uh, have some difficulty uh, following the message sometimes because of the uh, speed at which I preach and uh, sometimes uh, some hearing concerns and so forth that we're all familiar with. And uh, so uh, they are there. If you want one, just slip your hand up and the nice man will give you one. And if not, then he can be seated and rest for the rest of the evening. We're coming to this fascinating uh, passage that was just read for you. And it, it serves as a reminder of the importance of understanding what does it mean when we commit ourselves to Christ? What are we committing ourselves to? What is entailed in that? Because it's very easy for, for us in our culture to get on the bandwagon. You, people easily jump on various bandwagons or all sorts of things. And so it's important for us to recognize that Jesus is not a constrictor who, who sort of says, well, just follow me and I'll tell you the rest of the details later. Um, we'll surprise you. We don't know exactly where we're going. It'll be kind of a fun little journey. It's not that at all. And we have Jesus, of course, having just preached the greatest sermon that has ever been preached, the Sermon on the Mount, and having preached that message. And as you get a picture of all that followed, and that was a full message, and the multitudes that heard the message followed on down. Now, how far they went following Jesus, we don't know. But they followed for a while. And then there were others that were joining them because we have all sorts of events taking place. Uh, and obviously, we, we started off in verse 1 of chapter 8 when uh, Jesus came down from the mountains, large crowds followed him. And, and we had the leper coming and so forth. And then he comes into Capernaum. And he meets the centurion. And it was a most miraculous meeting because this man was a Gentile. This man was, uh, we, were, we were talking about it in our house this morning. Uh, uh, this was a man's man. This was a leader of a hundred men. They were fighting men. They were strong men. And they were uh, used to going in and, and taking control of situations. And we have this man coming to Christ. And it was a dramatic presentation of himself to Christ as he bows and honors him and shows tremendous faith, so much so that our Lord says, I haven't seen faith like this in Israel. I haven't seen anything like this. And the reality is that when Jesus says that, he's saying that in the hearing of his people. And we know, of course, that familiar passage from the Gospel of John. He came unto his own, and his own received them not, him not. They should have received him. They should have, but they didn't. And so we have the centurion. And it's a dramatic statement. And it's a powerful statement. When he, Jesus says in verse 10, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. And by great, it's, it's, it's a fascinating Greek word. And it's basically gigantic. Every once in a while, as, as I'm driving down the road, somebody's having some kind of a milestone birthday. And 
The, the people like to honor them by having one of those large balloon sort of things, you know, uh, on their front lawn. And uh, I was driving down the road uh, a little while ago, a few weeks ago, and, and up on the, the main road here, and here somebody had turned 60, and here's this gigantic King Kong on their lawn announcing that they've turned 60. And uh, uh, some of you know that my wife had an event happen to her a few years ago where we looked out our window and saw something just absolutely uh, just brought fear to my heart. There were flamingos on our lawn. And uh, they were announcing, I think my wife had turned 20 or something, and they, they were announcing that to the community, 20 something. But um, here, the word that's used here, when Jesus says this man has great faith, it's not just great faith, this is just gigantic faith. And he is contrasting the faith of this Gentile, the centurion, with the Jews, who had all the blessings, the blessings of the law, the blessings of, of worship, the sacrificial system, the blessings of the priesthood. All of these were to be blessings for Israel to draw them to the Messiah to come. And now the Messiah did come. And here they were ignoring him, later despising him, later crucifying him. And now we have Jesus reaching this point, and it's a fascinating picture because Jesus didn't go 24-7. Part of the humanity of Jesus is that he gets tired, that he needs to go away, that he needs to eat, and so forth and so on. And here is this point where Jesus is leaving uh, the, the multitude. And so it tells us that Jesus sees the crowd that, that's coming around him. And this is a fascinating picture because it's telling us that the crowd at this point is starting to swell up again. It's starting to get larger. So that when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. They're going to cross the Sea of Galilee. We'll look at the passage on the crossing next week, Lord willing, uh, next Sunday morning. And, and out of the blue, a scribe comes. Now, there's a fascinating contrast here that we'll miss altogether if we don't think it through in the flow of the passage. We've just had a Gentile come and, and honor the Lord and show tremendous faith and show tremendous humility, saying, Lord, you don't, he, don't, don't come to my house. I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. Just say the word. Heal my son, and it's done. Now, contrast that with what we have next here in the passage. And what we have next is a scribe. And we mentioned this morning in the Sunday school class, these things do naturally link together, don't they? We mentioned this morning in the Sunday school class that the scribes were responsible for the proper transmission of the word of God. They were copyists. And their, their ministry in life was to write and write and write and write the word of God, transferring it meticulously, carefully, giving thought to everything that was on the manuscript on their right-hand side, and then writing it down properly. Now, this was a difficult responsibility, and you know a little bit about it from this morning even, and some of you know it prior to this morning, of course. And, and, and that is that the scribes were responsible to make sure that not only the scriptures were written, but they were written in, a, in the perfect way. Every, every word, every character had to be drawn perfectly. They had the copy, and when it says, and, and they're described as copyists, they were making an identical copy. They were to pay special attention to the, the shape of the letters. They were to pay special attention to the distance between the letters as they were writing the words. 
that the letters had to be properly proportioned. I mean, I would have not got out of grade two if I'd had that kind of standard brought upon me. And, and, but here, that's what they were to do. They were to wash and bathe and wear their ceremonial clothing before they even engaged in this activity. They were to use a certain kind of ink. They were to use the right kind of writing instrument. And every time, of course, they came across the name of God, which is Yahweh, every time they came across that name, they had to stop. They had to change, get a new pen. They had to change themselves. They had to bathe all over again. And then they had to come back and sit down with a new pen and start again and onward into the, the scripture. You can imagine uh, Mr. Scribe getting home at the end of the day and he's only got a couple of verses done because the name Yahweh kept appearing and he kept having to go and bathe and change his clothes and get a pen and sit down and do it all over again. In addition to that, there were scribes who were responsible to oversee the work of the scribes so that you had almost a, a, a subsystem of, of, of the, the drones, if you will, that were doing all the hard writing but then there were those responsible to make sure that the end product was absolutely identical to the previous. This man was used to working with God's word. I mean, you can't write over and over and over again God's word without some of it getting into your noggin. And one of the ways of, of, of studying, of course, and we learned this very early, not everybody does it, but learned long time ago that when studying in, in, in school, get home at night, put the textbook on the table, and start making your own notes. Because you're looking at it. My daughter's going to say, oh, don't say this, Dad. Here goes. You're looking at it. You're seeing it. You're saying it. You're thinking it. You're remembering it because it involves the senses. And the scribe, of course, would have known this. And we, she only heard that from me for 12 years. But, but the, the scribe would have known this over and over and over again. It would have been impossible for him not to learn something, even just by the process of writing, writing, writing. And so it is this one who comes to Jesus. So when we think of a scribe, we're to understand this man is a scholar. This man is recognized in, in the whole echelon of Phariseeism as one who is a leader. This is a man we look up to. And here he comes to Jesus, and he comes with some eagerness attached to him. The, the, the Greek word that is used here, and it's not often that we run into this whole group of Greek words that you have to explain. I don't do this every time. But the Greek word has the impression that he has, has come with some speed. And the reason why we were able to pick up on that is not only the inflection of the word, but the reality that Jesus is leaving the boat's there, they're ready to leave, and there's some haste being made here as he comes. And when he comes, he comes with respect. You notice that. He calls him teacher. And don't you think this has a bit of a resemblance, at least it does in my mind, to the rich young ruler? You remember how that played out? The rich young ruler comes running to Jesus. He honors him. He bows to him. And he calls him good master. And here we have the scribe coming, and he's making some speed to get to Jesus before he gets in the boat. And as he comes to him, he refers to him as teacher. Now, it's a fascinating thing that he would do that, because, of course, the Pharisees had a closed shop for who was the teacher and who wasn't the teacher. You recall, of course, there was a man by the name of Nicodemus. You know the story in John chapter 3. 
And it tells us that there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi. And then he speaks and he says, We know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these things unless God is with him. There was that respect that was inherent in this man Nicodemus. There was the same type of respect inherent in this scribe. When he comes before him and he sees and acknowledges and recognizes, this is Jesus. He has come to teach something. He's not come to entertain the people. He's not come to thrill the people with miracles and so forth, as thrilling as they were. Purpose of his earthly ministry, cross. And so here is this scribe affording respect to Jesus and saying, teacher, that's an esteemed title. It doesn't mean the same in our day and age, does it? At the end of the year, when we were young, uh, all the, bad, the other kids did this. I would never do this. No more, you know, no more pencils, no more books, no more teachers' dirty looks. You remember some of that? Okay, yeah, great. I'm surrounded by intellectuals as well. And uh, that was it. Teachers are not respected, but in the time of Christ, teachers do respect due to the picture. Is this fascinating commitment? Teacher, follow you wherever you He has enough where Jesus is going. The foggiest notion down the road. He has preparation happened down the road. Wit about it, but he comes and he offers this empty commitment where he is that you go. It's when we sing. Do we think sing? Master, let me walk. Huh? Do you really want to you really want to go where Jesus goes? Where Jesus is mocked, life is bad, and, and all I want to make I, I go to heaven when I die. So when we make a commitment, doing that, do, uh, whatever, it is well with whatever takes place, I'll find myself going to you. You're, you're my rock of ages, the place where I flee to. You're the one. I want to be with you. I want to learn from you. I want to serve. And here he is. I'm ready to go. And in our day, and super, let's sign this guy up to a Bible college and get him to a degree or two on him and let him loose. But Jesus does something rather fascinating. And you might look at it, there's a wet blanket on this man's commitment. Blanket on his commitment at all. Really telling him, this is what it means to follow. He don't know at the time if, if Jesus saw some birds flying. I don't know. Saw a fox in the field. Could have. You see that fox? And they see the fox. That, that fox has a hole in the ground. It's his foxhole. That's his place. That's He's a little home. When I was coming down the way here, there are robins trying to, in the gutter, the side of the church here. It's kind of a fool's errand to do that because somewhere like some, uh, some fried eggs in the shell as well. But that's the robin's problem, and we can't explain this to them. They don't understand. They never listen to me anyway. But the, the robins have a nest. The fox has a hole. And here is the Son of God. The Son of God standing before this man, and Jesus says this to him, the son of nowhere to let. This is the, of the incarnation of Christ. The Lord of glory comes from glory, born in a barnger, and here he is offering himself and telling the disciples, on, that a place for you. And the idea of, of going home to glory, having a place for my disciples, for my people. And here he is in his earthly ministry, and he says, I'm homeless. And it's a fascinating statement. And you notice something that takes place. When he says that, you never hear another word. 
from the scribe. The scribe doesn't say anything. He doesn't start singing, I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. No. There is nothing heard from the scribe again. He said, Johnny, come lately. He comes with the, perhaps the excitement of seeing people, the, the, of hearing Jesus. Jesus lay the gospel in the, if he was there, and he may well have been from him. It's like he's gone, he's disappeared. And the next thing that happens is this when that, go. He's gone. And in that, it's actually three people coming to Jesus, not because there's some description. Luke, under the inspiration, has led to uh, them coming. We have two. Second one. He says this. Disciples, he'd even started following Jesus. He'd even recognized himself as a follower yet. Now, oftentimes, if we just read this on the surface, we'll dig around on these things and get a picture of it. His father is still living. He's saying, Lord, when my father dies, I'll be ready to follow you. When everything is right, when all the conditions are right in my family, when all the family affairs have been taken care of, then I'll be ready to follow you. And Jesus is requiring more, isn't he? And what's he requiring? He's requiring that we follow. Let's think about the day in which Jesus is walking along and he encounters some men, they're fishermen, and go back to Matthew 4 for a second, please. Verse 18, Matthew 4, 17, pardon me. Jesus begins to preach. What is the thrust of the preaching of Jesus? Now, this is very important. I, the thing they didn't like about it was John MacArthur's on the indice of repentance. Now, this is a no-brainer for you and I, because under the preaching of, and we know that the gospel, the gospel that called and believe, repent in terms of turning from sin, and to part of the, the core of his message is this. From that time, Jesus began to say, repent of heaven is at hand. Repent. Turn. Turn from your ways. Turn to God's ways. The kingdom of God is at hand. And now's the time. Don't repent. He's quoting Jesus. coming, preaching repentance in verse 8. He's wildly. Simon called Peter, casting a net into the fishermen. He says the most astounding thing to them. Stand at this point, preaching all over the place. And he says to them, follow me, verse 19, and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately left their nets and James and John. And immediately them following. Now, thank you. if you read the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you know the picture that Jesus was just covering the whole area. Preaching every day, repent, repent, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Now is the time to repent over and over and over again. Why would you preach a message over and over and over again? You preach the message over and over and over again because people aren't repenting. And so that's what Jesus is doing. These disciples didn't come out of nowhere. They knew and they understood. Not necessarily the word. And that's true tonight, isn't it? That when we follow Jesus, something happens and our lives change dramatically. I mentioned this morning that I'm, I have a great imagination. I have a little one, and I tell little one, little my little girl. So I had, if that's all the thing else, would you follow? I say, well, no, I wouldn't. But it has prerequisite of and preach everywhere. Now, notice something. There was to Jesus in this passage in, in Matthew chapter 4 is an immediate response. 
That's different from the one that we read here in chapter 8. This, let me go home and wait until the slate is clean in my house where my father is deceased, where my mother is deceased, and then I'm going to come. Here the disciples left their profession. They knew fishing. We'll pick up on that, Lord willing, next week. That's what they knew. They were out catching fish. They were out catching good fish. They were out catching salmon and halibut and haddock and all that, and that good fish. And that's what they were doing. Sorry, I'm a maritimer. They left what they were familiar with. They left what they were comfortable with. They left their home. And they determined, I will follow Jesus. I will follow him. I don't know exactly where we're going, but I know one thing for sure in shooting. If I'm following Jesus, I'm going the right direction. To bury their own dead. I'd like to have some things I want to have before it's too back in St. John, where in a pretty rough place, house, and I used to, and I was talking to an individual one night, and we had talked long and hard and had a lot of awful place. And I said to him, I need to repent. And he said to me, and he said, I'm 23. Now I have no what was supposed to happen in this man's life by the time he was 23. It was. It was not worth rejecting the call of the gospel for. Whatever excuse uh, you can come up with for not coming to Christ, whatever you conjure up Christ, excuse, there is excuse coming to Christ. Excuse. When we start reading through our consecutive reading verses uh, through the book of Romans, you'll find out very early in the reading, we are without excuse. We have no excuse. We have the gospel. We have the word of God. We have it clearly written. We can understand it. Some people say, well, I, I have trouble understanding the, the King James language. I understand that. We don't talk that way out on the street, do we? I understand that. There are plenty of good, accurate, literal translations. There is no need for us to say, I don't understand. We can help you understand. We'll make it understandable. But excuse. No excuse. Family concerns had no and Jesus demand, and it's a demand of following. Remember when Jesus was going to leave his disciples and he's going to the cross. We need to think about this as we prepare ourselves to gather around the table. And you recall as he's explaining all of this to, to the disciples, they don't understand it. Now it's important for us to know something, and it's this. We'll spend a lifetime reading, studying, It'll either become something new, sharper in its focus, something that is more widely applied than it ever was. Before. The glory of God, this magnificent. Find yourself study, studying, studying till the day, and you'll never say, I know it all. I figured it all out. Down path. No, you regrets. We see, I think, every message now, I think to myself, I'll never get a chance to preach that again. That's it. That's it for this particular. You know, and, and I've never had the congregation come and say, Pastor, do some summer reruns for us. No, this, this, is, this is the night. This is the passage. And this is the last time I'll be preaching on, on, unless I'm 169 years of age and we might have another go at it. But we need to see and understand that this book, I'm not depressed to preach on. There are, God's word is so fun that we'll draw from it, draw from it, drawing from it, and from it until the day. And Jesus' disciples leaving them. And remember the call and how important this call is? 
He says, don't let your hearts be, verse 1, chapter 14, gospel, believe in God, believe all me. In my Father's house or dwelling places, if it were not so, I would have told you. And he says this, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare and receive you, that where I am, I also know where I'm going. And interrupts. Uh, excuse me, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus gives this answer. It's the answer for, answer for your life, for your eternity. Then he says this, I am the, I am the, I am the, comes to me, or comes to the Father, except me. Absolutely no one comes except through Christ. The obituary is the other. And uh, I don't notice that the ways of the future, which is actually divorced from a generation. Obituary after obituary after obituary. And you will see absolutely no reference to Christ, to the gospel, to a funeral service. Da, 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 da. The funeral will be taking place at 2 o'clock at your funeral home. Pastor so-and-so presiding. What did that tell you and I? That told you and I that there was going to be a minister and he was going to be presiding. He was going to be preaching, hopefully, hopefully preaching the gospel at that funeral service. What do you read in our day and age? No visitation, no funeral at request of the deceased, at request of the family. No reference to God. They've lived their whole life with no reference to God. When I, when I die, I hope you have a good funeral with lots of singing and good preaching. Now, I don't know where we're going to get them from, but I'm on the hunt because we want the gospel preached. This is a testimony. Whether you think that my testimony and useless, there's at least some mark, and they died and they're with Christ. Growing up with no Christ at all. Reference to eternity, somehow it's all over with. If there's going to be a funeral, and in all likelihood, that's it, drop the curtain. How empty. How that of the gospel is all me. Follow me. Following him. Something wonderful, something wonderful. That when we are brought, and we are brought to grief. Grief as those who are living within our eyes. And we look Jesus ever to Jesus, consistently to Jesus, knowing that there'll be that day where the struggles will be over, the sickness will be over, the struggle and battle with sin will be over, and we will be with the Lord forever and ever. Amen. If you can't rejoice in that tonight, it's because you're not saved. If you can't, it's believed. You know? And he comes far. We'll pick it up next week when Jesus gets in the boat and it's just a phenomenal passage and I wish I could sneak trusting in him, determining I, no matter where, I will follow and may you know Christ tonight as we gather, we bow in prayer. Father, bow before you. We have so many excuses that people make feeling they have so much to lose, feeling that they can't have fun if they follow Christ, feeling that they'll have no friends when Christ is the greatest friend we could ever have. And we give you thanks, our Father, for your love and mercy to us. We give you thanks for the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. And we pray, Lord, tonight that you would speak to our hearts. And we pray that you would convict us of our need of Christ. And convict us, Lord, of our need to follow him fully. To follow him without question. And help us to learn from your word 
that we would know more and more and more about Jesus and keep us ever learning and keep us ever serving until the Lord takes us out of this service and brings us home to glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name.